podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi and welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion with me, your host, Stephen Wallace. If you are a cricket badger as I am, today's guests are as well, you will have been following the Ashes. And today we have the first of three Ashes podcasts. Today's show sees the return of former England Test Centurion Catherine Leng and German international all-rounder Tina Goff to dissect the action of a pulsating Women's Ashes series which ended eight points each. More about the other two Ashes shows coming up later, but let's hear from our expert duo. Hello, Catherine and Tina. Welcome back to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks, Stephen. Hi, Tina. Nice to see you again. Likewise. Well, today we're going to uh, look back at the Ashes, Washes, whatever you want to, to call them. And... Uh, with the angry fast bowler and um, the guest who often becomes the co-host, I better I better be careful what I say here. But um, to begin with, what have you both been up to, Tina? You've been playing lots of cricket, haven't you? Yeah, I've been in the UK for a month already, touring the country, playing wherever people will take me. Um, I've got my had my first game for the MCC as well. At the second time of asking, the first one was a washout unfortunately and happened to be at Lords as well so that was a bit of a shame but um yeah playing a lot of cricket and weather permitting hopefully a lot more in the next month or so you did get to have the Lords lunch though I think yeah yeah we got to sit in the changing room for a long time and walk around the long room and feel important but not actually step out onto the pitch and yeah the lunch was very nice as well the the um the the dining room is very small uh that was my overriding memory of it it's just about fits two teams in plus a few officials uh it's not this kind of banquet hall that i had in my mind but very nice lunch and catherine you've been busy at work and hopefully still playing the odd game of cricket i've i'm the exact opposite actually i've played zero cricket i've been working but i've been one of those badges that has been you know uh putting sky go on BBC, any spare minute that I've had, I've been trying to catch up on things, uh, as well as sort of like forming a little club with my colleagues at work to be like, do you know what the score is? Like probably thousands of other people across the country. So, yeah, looking forward to maybe getting a couple more games in this season soon. But um, I've been, yeah, desperately watching um listening trying to get any information about the ashes as possible whilst i've been at work so well you obviously needed to get lots of information for this uh podcast with tina and to start with briefly how exhausted are you then having watched the the ashes well it's been it's been absolutely captivating hasn't it so you know just not the women's series, but currently the men's series as well, you know, and everything else else that's been going on cricket-wise. It, it's just been fantastic. But um, just, you know, to watch or listen or get hearsay about the five-day test was, was just fantastic. Um, record-breaking crowds that we've spoken about before, we knew that, ticket sales were going to be 
massive, but they've been even bigger. Um, it's been such absolutely entertaining cricket that, you know, you, you're kind of like craving to watch, really. What about yourself, Tina? We're going to go into detail about the Red and White Ball series, but your first thoughts on this uh, titanic battle between England and Australia? Well, I think firstly, it's great that they've coincided the men's and women's ashes because from a purely selfish point of view, it means watching cricket every day. There's been a relentless schedule, so I can't imagine how the players feel. But for us as spectators, we could just turn on the cricket every day and, and sit back and enjoy. So, um, yeah, it's been exhilarating from a watching point of view. I'm sure it's been exhausting for the players. And yeah, I mean, we're not even into August yet, so there's a lot of cricket still to come as well. So excited for that as well. I said before we talk in detail about the the two, the red ball and the white ball, to start with, the point system, was it a fair result, Catherine, eight all? I mean, it was what it was. I'd, I'd probably like to see the test at, at the end of the series. So, you know, England were sort of like, it was 6-0 um, right from the start. And then obviously we fought back to 8-8. Eight, eight. But I can't help feeling that if the test was at the end, um, and, you know, everyone knows how much I like test cricket, that it could have been in some ways just that grand finale that women's cricket would have needed to just take it to the complete peak um you know have everyone on the edge of their seats I mean it, it was really exciting but I think maybe if that five-day test had been at the end probably not very good for the players actually um because five days is hard work but yeah I just think it it might have created a bit more drama having the test at the end you still think four points for the for the test match though I know you're a test uh, test badger. Proper test badger. I don't. Yeah, for four points, fair enough. I just think it. Yeah, it would have brought more to the competition. What are your thoughts, Tina? England won both the white both white ball series is two one, and yet we only shared the well shared the series. I think I would have liked to see at least two tests. I know that's asking a lot of the players, but. Um, the white ball series, we then had three t- T20s, three ODIs, and it was so tight, 2-1 in each. It showed how closely matched the teams were that it seemed almost to take something away from the Ashes to only have one test match and to take that opportunity away from the players as well. I think at least if we had two test matches or in an ideal world, three, I know this is asking a lot of the players, then you actually um, have a fairer balance over a longer period of time. Um, one test match with so many points weighted towards it Seems like it's such a close call that um, the fact that the Ashes hinged on that was, I wouldn't say a shame because it was a great series, but maybe in future they can work out the point system. I'm not a maths genius by any stretch, but to make it less likely to have a draw. And I don't know how you would do that if that means one more test match or whatever it might be. But I think not having a situation where a draw is actually quite likely um, in the entire series. I mean, 2-1, 2-1 and an Ash- uh, a test match going one way is not an unlikely event. And then we're going to have a lot of series drawn, which I think is a shame as well, because you want it to be, you want to have a winner. And that means having a loser as well, but I think it would have been the best result. Back in Catherine's day, they used to play three test series, didn't they, Catherine? 
uh yeah that's right um it's sort of like spread over let's say maybe four weeks with some warm-up games and some representative games and things like that so it's a it's a proper maybe um say when the Aussies came over a a two-month tour and then um they'd um tootle over to Ireland and do and do a few games there so they'd they'd make a proper do of it as they say up north but moving on to the the test match Catherine you must have been delighted that we had a five-day match and we got a result as well we've had it was the first result in a test match for seven test matches we had six consecutive draws yeah I mean I'm not I'm really not sure whether it's got anything to do with that it was five days. I just think the standard of cricket was just unbelievable. Um and it was a real roller coaster, which is which is why we all know and love test cricket. So um but yeah, it was really good to to see that, you know, we'd all talked about five day tests and and that's what happened. And I think just going back to what Tina said, maybe you know, it'd be, I'm being greedy now, um, but, you know, maybe having having two or three five-day tests would be really nice. But I, t- I still really like the multi-format, but for the future, as as it as a test game grows, um, maybe it can just have its own, you know, ashes in it in its right. Australia won the, the, the five-day test match by 89 runs. Uh... Catherine, as a former opening batsman, you must have been impressed by Tammy Beaumont uh, scoring 208 and breaking Betty Snowball's record that has stood since 1935. Yeah, uh, wasn't a bad innings at all, was it really? It's just stuff that dreams are made of to to score that amount of runs. Um, and what an absolutely brilliant innings. Um, and you you can see she's sort of been building up to it for years, really. You know, the talent is certainly there, the patience, the temperament, and um, it was just fantastic to watch. And it's just a shame we didn't get that result for, you know, for such a good innings, really. But as we know, it, it, again, it's a rollercoaster. Test match cricket is a rollercoaster game, so you get... Um, good bits and and you get bad bits but certainly a massive highlight it, it was an absolutely quality innings yeah i think it was great for tammy to come in and prove herself she's not had her place cemented in the england team for the last couple of years and i'm sure she's been extremely frustrated with that so to come in and to score what was it two over 200 208 um, straight away in a test match under pressure. I mean, that takes a lot of guts. And uh, yeah, you could tell Australia were a bit um, a, a loose end at what to do there. I think they used eight bowlers in that first inning. So, I mean, it also shows the strength the Australians have throughout their bowling lineup. But clearly they weren't sure how to get Tammy out. And yeah, that was an amazing uh, once in a lifetime innings, I think. Talking about the bowling, the slow bowling, Catherine, you must have been impressed though with Sophie Eccleston. She bowled nearly 80 overs in the match t- taking 10 wickets yeah it's it's not bad really is it um she's she's just a staple 
she just seems so reliable. She can just bowl and bowl. And I guess as a captain, that's what you want in your team. And and I just think she comes from sort of like good cricket pedigree where uh, she plays against men quite a lot. And um, she just seems really chilled and relaxed. And she's very tall as well, which I think um, as an off spinner is really difficult for you know, female batters sometimes that um, she's above your eye level a bit, speaking from someone who's very little. Um, you know, when you've got a tall bowler bowling at you, sometimes if you're not used to it, it's difficult. But she just she's just so consistent. She, you know, she's that staple gutter, really, I think, um, in the team for Heather Knight. And um, to bowl that many overs, she must have hurt the next day. Talking of tall, tall, fast bowlers, um, uh, Tina, you're with us. How impressed were you, though, by uh, young Lauren Filer, who was uh, bowling at about 75 miles per hour? Yeah, extremely impressed. I think even as someone who follows women's cricket quite closely, uh, she still seemed to come from nowhere. And obviously she's been doing really well at a domestic level. Um, but she was not really talked about much in the open in terms of being involved in England. And then suddenly she was there and fully justified her place um, bowling at that speed, but also having the control as well. And um, the endurance, it's not easy to come into a test match when probably presumably the longest she's ever played before that is a one day game. And to come in straight away, play five days, have the endurance to keep going, to keep bowling was really impressive. And yeah, she deserved all the praise she got for her debut. Yeah, she got Elise Perry out in both innings. And talking about um, uh, the difference in formats, Catherine, how difficult would it be, because you've played test cricket, to play um, test cricket and play a a 50-over and 20-over game? It's quite a big difference. Yeah, um, I mean, you've got to remember back in my day, there was no T20 nonsense. So um, we we just go from... Uh, you know, sort of like three test matches in a row um, to 50 over games. But it is quite a switch. Um, so mentally, you've just got yourself got to get yourself in the mindset of, of how you're going to play each format, really, I think. Just a bit of a timeout. But players of today wouldn't be used to bowling the amount of overs because they're used to playing... 50 over and T20s so to then go out and bowl 30, 40 overs in, a, in an innings is quite a difference. Yeah, quite hard work, really. Um, I guess for the spinners more, um, I think quickies tend to sort of be used as short, sharp spells, really, and use the new ball um, tactically. So, um, but certainly for spinners, I mean, um, if I'm being honest, back in the day, I'd I'd have bowled every all day if I could, really. Well, Australia scored four seventy three. England replied with four six three, and then we were set a target of two hundred and sixty eight. Was that too many to get, Tina? Yeah, I mean it's it's tough when, as we've spoken about, when the players aren't used to then going into a a fourth innings, trying to pace that, dealing with the pitch. 
um the how much it's degraded over the four or five days and um 268 it always feels doable um with all our with the men's um test matches as well it always feels like that could be achieved um but i think it's difficult when you're coming up against one of the best bowling attacks in the world and yeah we just came up short but as you said said then Stephen, the the numbers that we scored so two 400s in the first and second innings that's if you just put those scores on paper that would just be a classic men's test match so i think that proves more than anything that not that we needed the proof we knew it all along but that the women's women need more test matches because they are more than capable of doing it and it was a great spectacle and it was a shame that england fell just short but um, as an event for spectators it was, couldn't have been better yeah, England was spun out by Ash Gardner taking eight for sixty-six. Yeah, she's she's good, and she's only going to get better, really. Uh, but I think um, on this occasion they let let her bowl at them. Uh, sometimes you've just got to get you know someone who's in a rhythm a little bit, try and knock them off their length or you know, try different things in the crease. I mean, in, in terms of the spin bowling, Ash Gardner's still quite um, young and not that experienced. So I think, um, you know, you've just got to sometimes treat them on the day and not treat them as, you know, someone someone who's, you know, a bit of a, can I say it, a bit of a god or potential god. You know, you've just... Just got to, you can't let someone dominate you and bowl at you. You've got to, you've got to take them on a little bit. And I feel just in that spell, we were a little bit shell shocked with her. And um, I think further down the line, um, I think England learned a valuable lesson um, on how to play her a little bit better. Could England have played an extra spinner in the Test match because? Australia's four seven three. Um, we principally only use four bowlers. I think it's always difficult when you have a spinner of Sophie Eccleston's quality because you kind of rely on her so heavily in a good way um, that you kind of want to stack your pace lineup uh, beyond that. Um, and yeah, just on Ash Gardner, I think I agree with Catherine that we were a bit too uh, tentative. If you look at the way we got out, it was LBWs, it was caught behind. And she wasn't necessarily spinning it around corners. She was just varying her speeds, varying her lengths. And um, maybe we were just a bit too tentative on that. And um, she's kind of a player that goes a bit under the radar. She's, I mean, she's a superstar, but she she isn't really talked about that much. But then suddenly she's getting runs, she's getting wickets, and she's become the one that um, Australia rely on, both with the bat and the ball. Um, and yeah, she proved that uh, massive amounts in the Test match. We should also mention Annabelle Sutherland getting a 130 batting number eight, Elise Perry getting 99, and Danny Wyatt performing well on her debut. Um, yeah, it was. I I think it was a really good move of the selectors and John Lewis. I think it was a really uh, gutsy move to put Danny Wyatt in there, and you know I'm one of her biggest fans, so you know. I would say that, but I I think it worked. I think, you know, they gave a, a good stage to play on. Um, and I'd, I'd forgotten about Sutherland's 100 and, and Perry's always really consistent. She's she's such a good player with bat and ball. 
um, and fielding. But sadly, no test match in England next summer. Pakistan and New Zealand are on tour here and there's no test match. Yeah, that feels like a huge missed opportunity. Um, after that, we've well, England have proved it and Australia have proved it that it, it works. Uh, they can manage it from a player's point of view and it's a great spectacle um, from a fan's point of view. And to not cash in on that um, next year seems like a big shame. Um, and it, it cannot be that professional cricketers are going possibly 18 months, two years without playing a test match. When you think of how many test matches the men's players play in that time, I think Jimmy Anderson was on 180-odd. Um, and some of these best players in the world are going to finish their careers on 10 if they're lucky. And that that seems a huge shame and definitely something that, in my opinion, needs to be addressed in future. I bet you feel the same about that, uh, Catherine. Yeah, I mean, you've surely got to capitalise on this summer and how successful it was. I mean, I, I, in terms of success, I'd like to see England win, of course, but um, in terms of uh, marketing and crowds and interest, I just don't understand why the ECB aren't capitalising on it. You know, you'd be wanting to put, trying to squeeze three five-day tests in next summer to you've got to capture the audience you know you've got to seize a moment and it sounds like they're not doing that and that's a real shame later this month the paddock and the pavilion will have two more ashes podcasts firstly i will begin going all around the world to find out what it's like to follow the women's ashes in argentina brazil japan and the USA. Here's a short clip from the Brazilian women's captain, Roberta Moretti Avery. Catch her enthusiasm for the contest. Oh, so the team were all involved watching the and following the games. Not only the Brazilian women's team, but the men's, the uh, under-19s, under-15s. Uh, uh, we had a, I was, I was having a meeting here in the training center and uh, behind me, there was like the whole of the under-15 teams uh, watching the game that was on telly while I was having the meeting. It was so cool because it's how they find their role models, isn't it? How they see what level of cricket they can maybe one day achieve in their lives. And uh, it was very easy and free to access. Moving over to the white ball series, we started with the T20s and England uh, lost the first T20 at Edgbaston. And one of our guests was actually at the game. What was it like? It was great fun. First and foremost, I was in the Hollies, so um, I don't think there's a better place to be to watch the game. Um, it was a shame then the result in the end went didn't go England's way. Um, but I think at the time it was the highest attendance that was then subsequently um, beaten the next T20i. And the thing that stuck with me most, which is a weird thing to remember, was that I think at some point there was a, a, a skied catch that went up to the boundary for an Australian fielder. And it was a really good effort and she dropped it. And the whole crowd jeered, but, you know, in a lighthearted way, kind of saying, oh, you know, she missed. Um, but I think that that's in some ways good that the players are respected so much and they think that they're going to take that catch that you can kind of make a joke of it when they don't do it. I think 10 years ago, it would have been a pat on the head. Well done, good effort. And I think that parity with the men's is it's a tiny thing, but I think it's part of the T20 
spectacle as well. Obviously, it's all should be lighthearted and um, not like what we experienced with the men at Lords. But I think that kind of atmosphere is part of what makes the Ashes the Ashes. And seeing that was something I've never seen before, a women's game, that you really respect the players because they're amazing athletes. And when they take a great catch, you marvel at that. But if they drop a catch equally, it's kind of a bit of a pantomime. And I don't mind that as long as it stays on the right side of respectable. <laughs> what was the makeup of the crowd? Were there lots of um, young children watching as well? It was everything. So families, a lot of um, women, which is what you expect. So when you go to the toilet halfway, there's a huge queue for the ladies, which is not usually the case when you go to a cricket match. Um, but that's always a good sign. Um, and I think they had to actually swap the toilets around. So the men's became the women's because the women, the men's are usually the bigger toilets. Um, so that's usually a mark of where what the crowd makeup is like. Um, but there was a lot of men there and probably guys who would not normally go to a women's match, but they thought it's a T20 at Edgebast and it's going to be a good atmosphere. And I think they were treated to a good game as well. So um, it was a great atmosphere and it showed just... The fact that it was a standalone game for the women as well, we've kind of had these atmospheres a bit last year with the 100, but that always was a men's, women's um, doubleheader. So to have those crowds and that kind of party atmosphere for an exclusive women's game was was really good to see. Well, Australia won by, by four wickets with one ball to spare. Next game was at the Oval where England managed to win a tight game by three runs. Did the win at the Oval then sort of transform the series, Catherine, we actually believe we could beat them? I think it instilled a lot of belief, didn't it? Um, we made it quite hard work for ourselves. I think the girls will will say, you know, when you sit snail down, you'll take anything, really. But, um, you know, with a home crowd, home turf, a real determination to win. There were a lot of players on form that, you know, and the games were close. So it there was there was a glimmer of hope. Um and I think the girls themselves all all say that. Um yeah, there was still hope at that point. And then we won at Lords thanks to Alice Capsey. We mustn't forget Danny Wyatt was the star in the game at the Oval, scoring 76 or 46 balls. Mm. So we'd won the T20 series. We then went to the ODIs. And, well, the Aust- Australia don't win. Don't, they don't lose T20s. They don't lose one-day internationals. And then we, we won the first game at uh, Bristol with Heather Knight getting 75. But Kate Cross, 19 not out, being the, the star of the show, really. Yeah, I just, I think I, you know, I did um, get to watch quite a bit of that game. Um, and she just came in with intent and determination. And I think, you know, she, again, along with Danny Wyatt, she's one of my favourite players is Kate Cross because she, um, she, She's a doer, but she's also a thinker as well of the game. And and um, I don't think it does a justice batting there, really. I think we'll see her uh, get in a better batting position. And I think she's a very canny bowler as well. So, you know, what what an awesome few overs that was when she was batting. She really 
sort of like grabbed grabbed the game and um you know got us through it it's really good to see we then beat in australia in three consecutive matches yeah it doesn't doesn't happen too often um i mean they've always spoken about this this so-called gap between australia and england and i think this series more than anything proved that um that is maybe not the case anymore um you couldn't have had a closer series and yeah, maybe it was a bit of a demons um, cast away by England that Australia aren't the, this mythical beast that can't be beaten. And that um, it's, mu- it's, it's as much in the mind as anything, because I think the England players have proved time and time again that they have the skills to do it. It's just doing it on the biggest stage against the best players in the world. And I think they proved that they could do that in, in this series. The series then moved on to the Aegeus Bowl, where England, or Nat Brunt was lined up in the last over we needed 15 to win the game and sadly we uh we finished three runs short but Nat Siver scoring a century yeah she she's really um played very well in the latter stages um and and really sort of like bra- flowered almost to you know her full potential what is it four centuries in her last Five one days, that's absolutely unbelievable. And long may it continue. Last game was at Taunton and Nat Siver even outdid what she did at the Aegeus Bowl with 129 in a victory for England to uh, level the Series 8 all. Yeah, I think she would have been a bit gutted in the penultimate game that to get the 100 and not see the team over the line. And I think in that one... Um, it's a mark of how good she is as a player that we kind of all thought we were still in it in the final over needing 15 when even a few years ago you'd have thought okay that's game over Um, so I think um, on the back of that to then get over the disappointment of or the mixed feelings of getting a century but losing to then double up and do it again in the in the final ODI and actually be on the winning side um, I think that that's a mark of how good she is as a player and she got a wicket as well so um, I don't think she got too many wickets throughout the series, but um, she's also a bowler that they can throw the ball to and rely on just to bowl here or there um, to fill the overs. So, yeah, she's an invaluable player for England and will be still for a few years to come. So a question for both of you. Uh, England won both the um, white ball series 2-1. What were the main reasons why we beat the Commonwealth Games gold medalist, the T20 World Cup winners, the T50 World the ODI World Cup winners, why do we beat them? I just just think we took our opportunities. Um, We had a home crowd um, and we're on home turf and that's always a distinct advantage. But it was just fantastic to see, you know, how how the English game has progressed into, um, you know, being walked over sometimes by the Aussies. we really took it to them, got our heads down and played with determination and positivity. Yeah, I think it was about about having a bit of cutting edge as well. I think all of the the games, um, the test match aside, I mean, even that was quite close, but all of the white ball games were really close. I think it was winning by two wickets or three runs or in the final over. And in the past, England have often been on the wrong side of those um, results when it comes to the Aussies, or as Catherine said, it's just been a a blowout. So I think there's something that's clicked mentally as well to really take the game to the Aussies and not just 
have the game kind of pass them by. And I think John Lewis said that as well in um, his interviews afterwards as well, that they wanted to kind of put the Aussies on the back foot and take the game by the scruff of the neck rather than just waiting to see what the mythical Aussies do to them. So I think that was why they ended up on the right side of a few tight results. And then hopefully in future that leads to kind of dominating teams in the same way that Australia have done for so long. Yeah, that was nearly all the games were close. The only non-close game really was the last game, which England won by 69 runs. Yeah, and I think that one was even, um, was that the rain affected one? So um, as soon as the rain comes into play, then anything can happen. But um, otherwise, yeah, everything was tight. And that's also made it such a good spectacle for the fans as well. Uh, Because you don't, especially when it comes to one day games, you can often have games that are basically over before they've started. So to have games that have gone down to the wire every time means that the fans really got value for their their money as well. Player of the series for you then, um, Catherine? Well, I'm going to sit on the fence and say for England, maybe Nat Siver and then Ash Gardner for Australia, but... I actually, personally, for Australia, I think Alana King's got a lot about her. I think we're going to see a lot of her. And um, Kate Cross is is going to be fantastic for us if she can stay injury-free. That's your leg spin bias there coming through with Alana King, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, leg spin bias there. And then a little bit northern bias with Kate Cross. She's sort of gone over to the other side a little bit to Yorkshire recently. So, What about yourself, Tina? Yeah, I think those were my main two as well. Um, Nats of Brunt, Ash Gardner. Um, I think a, a shout out to Danny Wyatt as well for the white ball um, and the test. I mean, um, I think she was delighted to be part of the test. Um, she wouldn't be happy that I think there was a load of stats about her being the oldest ever test debutante, but she's still still a spring chicken. But yeah, the fact that she could come in and have the free mind and she didn't get a huge score, but she chipped in a lot with 40s and 30s and those in the middle order can often be the difference, especially as we said, the games were so close. Um, so a shout out to my fellow Falcon, Danny, as well. And more, even more bias then coming in there, uh, yeah. Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm not embarrassed to say so. I've now got some questions for you. Quite a few of them are from previous guests, actually. Well, the first one is from Rosa, uh, Rosa Simpkin of Rosa Talks Ball. She managed to get some uh, a word in edgeways when she was with Catherine about uh, a couple of months ago. Um, it's quite a long question, actually, so you better listen carefully. We've seen rapid growth of the game in England over recent years, and the Ashes has been a turning point. What do other countries globally need to do to keep up with Australia and now England? She's very positive from a playing and spectator perspective. This is something that is very interesting because I think I think we're going to see um, quite a lot of India in the next few years just because of the IPL and the money they're injecting into the game. But what is a slightly disappointing is the South African side of it, who I don't think are building on their World Cup. Um, And they could have really capitalised on that, but they don't really seem to be doing that. A lot of players seem to be retiring and doing other things. So I think 
hopefully that answers Rose's question. I think, you know, I'm really biased. England are going to go strength to strength, um, especially if they invest in the domestic structure as well. But I think we're going to see quite a bit from India in the next two or three years as well. So the Sorry. next question, this one's for Tina. They're, they're the same theme, really. One's from Bill Adamson, who's a previous guest on the, the programme. Bill of Crickbox, episode 196. Bit of advertising there for you, Bill. And the same sort of question from Nick Richardson, who's an Australian. So best not give that one to Catherine. Um, he was on episode 209. And Nick said, what are the reasons for the England English women's team's emergence as a genuine threat to Australia? Well, I think it's been coming for a while. The England players have been popping up in more franchises around the world, um, including the BBL. So I think Australia um, can take some of the credit for the England players coming through as well. Um, and just the professionalisation of the game in England uh, to be able to have full-time players who are able to train every day and commit everything to playing cricket rather than worrying about studying or working or whatever it might be. That just makes a huge amount of difference. And um, England was always a few years behind Australia when it came to that um, in terms of contracts and salaries. And I think there is still a bit of a gap, but the, they're catching up quickly. And I think that's made the huge difference. Um, and even competitions like the 100, which uh, might be a bit marmite, but um, having that and e even if it just means the experience of players playing in front of big crowds under the lights in big stadiums, um, I think that makes a huge difference uh, for closing the gap as well. Yeah, I think that's an answer to Bill's question as well, because Bill said what's been the biggest influence on England closing the gap. And I think you, you've answered that. Now, Catherine, I'll, I'll give you a question from Claire Jenkins, a commentator. And um, she said, ask Catherine this, how much are England missing a left-handed bat for Air Kemp apart? Uh, that is a, that is. A top question. Thanks for that, Claire. They are. I mean, who's the last one? Um, Lydia Greenway, really, significantly. I just think um, it mixes it up a little bit, doesn't it? Especially as an opening partnership. <clears throat> um, that, you know, some of the quicker bowlers can, can re really struggle with a left hand right hand combination so um yeah good question I think I'd always have a at least one left hander in my side and a left arm bowler as well I've known some very good left arm bowlers in my day as well I've got a question now for uh the angry fast bowler and it's from a I friend of it. passports by the way so I'm open to offers that's, if um... that's not me not you no but this <laughs> question calling I see Kath Catherine's trying to take over the role as host again. No, so, no. Yeah, yeah. I'll so show them <laughs> uh, Question then for Tina. It's from a friend of hers from Argentina who I spoke to the other day. This is Mariana Martinez, who who's played in fair break and bowls for Argentina. And um, you've partly asked, uh, asked it already, but we can also talk then about the crowds at the Ashes. How did, how did you live the adrenaline um, at the game? when you went to watch England and Australia at um, at Edgbaston? Well, it was just an amazing atmosphere and 
not anything like I've experienced at a women's game before. And that's purely because of the size of the stadiums as well. And I think um, even Heather Knight mentioned it, that if you put the games in small stadiums, you're already limiting the capacity and um, you're not giving the potential for growth. So put it in Edgebass and put it in Lords, and suddenly you have 20,000 people there. And it must have been an amazing experience for the players. I mean, I can't imagine playing in front of that many people, um, both like the nerves, but also the, the excitement and the adrenaline. And yeah, it just made it a complete spectacle. And um, you could have the ebbs and flows of the game as well. So when Amy Jones came in towards the end and gave, uh, as a homegrown player as well, a local to Warwickshire and gave England a bit of a boost towards the end, Um you really kind of felt that the crowd was pushing the England players. And that's maybe something that's been missing in the past because the the stadiums just haven't been used um, to really have a crowd behind you as kind of the, the 12th man, 12th woman. Um, the England men have had that for a long time. So it's about, it's about time the women kind of um, have make the best use of home advantage as well. Yeah. To add a few figures to that, there was 110,000, watching the the seven matches uh which is four and a half times more than 2019 ashes yeah i mean that's pretty spectacular um in terms of numbers and as we've we've mentioned now it's kind of how do you push on from that because we i feel like we had these discussions after the the 2017 world cup and we said this was a, a landmark occasion for women's cricket and it felt like they didn't really push on from there so i think this is now the time and which is why it's a shame there aren't test matches next year, but you have to capitalise on it by having games in front of home crowds in big stadiums because um, you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. I think it's also a wider opportunity in women's sport as a whole. We've seen that in the football attendances, the World Cup. Um, so it's really down to the ECB and other um, national boards to capitalise on this moment. The TV audience is also 5.3 million on live TV, which was double 2019 Ashes. Final question is from me, actually. How much did the Aussies miss Meg Lannan's leadership? Well, it's been nice to be a fly on the wall in the dressing room. Um, but I think Alyssa Healy brought something very different um, to the series, a lot more relaxed leadership. It's just unfortunate that she's, you know, a wicketkeeper opening back because it was it's a quite a heavy burden on your shoulders in in that sense i thought um she interviewed very well um i just think meg lanning brings a very focused very um straightforward almost dictarian sort of leadership whereas um, Alyssa Healy seems to be a bit more fluid and and actually quite complementary of the series as a whole. Um, and you know we cannot. I don't think playing wise, I really missed Meg Lanning that much. Um, I think she does average about fifty, but they've they've got so many players coming in, and um, I just think it made it um, just. Just a bit of um, a better atmosphere, really. It seemed to affect Elisa Healy's bat- batting. She only got two scores over 16. It's always difficult when you're keeping and um, being captain. And she was already not in the best of form coming into it and then having that extra pressure piled on you. 
that you kind of feel like as a captain, you're responsible for the 10 other players as well. It's no wonder. I mean, it was the same with Joe Root at some point. It, the captaincy weighs heavy and it takes a certain type of personality to be able to deal with that and not let it affect your performances at all. And I think Meg Landing has that type of personality. She's got this killer instinct, which has made Australia into this winning machine in the last five years. Um, and as Catherine said, Alyssa Healy is just a completely different style of leadership. It doesn't make it better or worse, but I think that shift maybe took a while for Australia to get used to as well. Um, and well, I guess it remains to be seen whether it will be a longer term thing. Obviously, Meg Lanning's one of the best players in the world. So we'd hopefully see her back on the cricket pitch um, as soon as possible. Our final Ashes review will see the return of our regular guest, Roland Butcher. The former England Test player is also open to questions about the men's Ashes. So feel free to send in your questions to me via social media or by emailing thepaddockandthepavilion at gmail.com. Let's hear from you all around the world. But to conclude our chat this evening, Heather Knight said it was the best series in the history of women's cricket. Go on, I will give her that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Um, in in every aspect, I think, jerking apart. Um, yeah, it, it was an absolute success, apart from Australia winning. But as Tina said, it is a series England need to build on, though, don't they, after having not just the success on the field, but off the field to inspire more young girls to play cricket and take up the game? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it has. Um, you know, going down to the local club and what have you, I think it has inspired a lot of people. And, and to have it in line, I think Tina said this earlier, to have it in line with the men's ashes, you know, it, it, you don't have to be just a cricket badger to be enjoying this. You can anyone can follow it and you know you just watch a women's series and then there's a men's test match and that's really close and there's a bit of controversy in that and um you know it's just the whole of July has just been chock-a-block of cricket and really good cricket so it can only be good. And playing cricket during the summer now in England Tina are you seeing that with uh, young girls taking up the game? Yeah, I mean, um, we see it at all the the local cricket clubs that girls are coming and playing in the nets and the people who they look up to now are the, the female cricketers because they actually have those role models. Um, there was a few games, I think, on the BBC, so you, you had that on free TV. And it's only if you see these role models that girls actually think, oh, this could be either I just want to play cricket because it looks like great fun or this could be a career for me. Um, And that's one of the huge um, shifts that we've experienced in the last 10 years or so. And yeah, just building that enthusiasm for the game. And I think that's what the England team do so well as well. They look like they just have fun. Um, They do, you know, TikToks and all these kind of things on the side. But when they're on the pitch, they're they're extremely focused professional athletes. And I think that makes them quite accessible as people as well. And they always go up and sign everything after the game and chat to the kids and that's how you get people involved um, to to really, sh- um, you've got to show your skills on the pitch, but also show that you're human and that, you know, someone like Kate Cross 10 years ago, 15 years ago was also just playing in the nets. Um, so that's kind of where you want to gain inspiration from. 
Well, thank you very much to you both for being on the show. Just to end, uh, Catherine, are you planning on um, getting some cricket in before the end of the summer? I'm going to try if selected. Um, you know, team might be doing so well they don't they don't need an old codger playing. And uh, Tina, I've got a question from Jenny Thompson, who's playing cricket all around the world, and she asked me, "She's looking for. Are you looking forward to playing against Austria?" Yeah, um, that should be good fun. It always feels weird that it's a, a local derby, Germany against Austria. Um, but we've played them a few times before and that was the team I scored my international century against. So I've got good memories against them. And yeah, looking forward to playing them again. And also um, I saw Jenny in Jersey. She's doing her cricket world tour. Uh, so shout out to her as well. She's doing great things, look, um, visiting local clubs all over Europe, I think. So um yeah, uh, a lot of cricket to come, I think, for both of us. <laughs> so when's the game against Austria? It's in about two weeks' time. I'm currently in the UK, so I need to get back to Germany for that one. Um, so I'm doing a bit of travelling here, there and everywhere. But um, wherever there's a cricket match, I won't be far away from that. And more MCC games as well? Yeah, so I've got an MCC game tomorrow and a few more lined up throughout the summer as well. And that's a really good opportunity to play good women's cricket and meet other people um, who are trying to develop the game. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to that. Fingers crossed the the Great British weather holds a bit because it's not been too kind to us in the last couple of weeks, but can only get better, I hope. Thank you both for being on the paddock and the pavilion again. And no doubt we'll catch up again with some more England action in the future. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Podcast Network.